Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Good morning, everyone. Today, I've uh, entitled my message, Famous Last Words. And I have been kind of uh, finding it interesting to look up the last words of individuals who have, say, been been passing away, famous individuals who have been passing away, and the things that they have said. And, and um, it sounds a little morbid, actually, now that I say it out loud, but it's not meant to be. It's meant to kind of be interesting. And um, when I've been looking it up, what I've found is that people's last words tend to fall into three broad, made-up-by-me categories. And the, the first of those categories is the profound category. And, and lots of people say things to or about their, their spouse as they're dying. And I'm not going to share any of those because they're a little bit sad, but they're also really sweet and very profound. But some other profound ones come from people like Sir Isaac Newton, who was very humble in death and said, I don't know what I may seem to the world, but as to myself, I seem to have to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then in finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. Who says that when they're dying? That's a very odd thing to be thinking about anyway. So that was, that was kind of, there's profound ones like that. And you're like, how do you even, surely you wrote that down and then went, oop, I'm dying now, I better... Say this. Then there's the not so profound ones, which uh, there's there's a lot of those. Sir Winston Churchill's last words were, "I'm bored with it all." Uh, artist, writer, and filmmaker Derek Jarman's last words were, "I want the world to be filled with white fluffy duckies." And then, yeah, I don't know what that's about. And then the dumb ones. I mean, the duckies one was pretty dumb, also, but these ones are just plain stupid. Johnny Ace, who was an R&B singer, died in. 1954, while playing with a pistol during a break in his concert set, his last words were, I'll show you that it won't shoot. (laughs) Yikes, that sucks. And it clearly shot, and that is how his life ended, obviously. So generally, we want our last words to be important, meaningful. I mean, I'm only young, and I already think, like, it'd be nice to, you know, whenever your day is, whenever your time comes, to be able to go, like... All right, I said something interesting, maybe not like Isaac Newton style, but just something, something that would be important or meaningful. I wonder if you feel the same way. And I wonder if you could choose it, what would your last words be? And who would they be to? Would they be something that would be setting up kind of the the future of your family or encouraging people or saying something really profound and interesting, something biblical? What, What would it be that you would want to say? I think we all want our last words to be meaningful, to be important. After Jesus died and rose again, he appeared to his disciples several times, uh, many times, and, and the final time that he appeared to them was just before his ascension. The ascension is when he returned to heaven as our, our mediator and priest forever. Jesus talked to his disciples. That, that's not what it looked like, but it's an interesting picture that I showed at youth the other day. Um, didn't look like that. 
but at least you'll remember it. Uh, but when he ascended, the ascension is important because Jesus had told his disciples, I am in you and you are in me. And when he died, uh, he took the punishment of our sin uh, on the cross and then alleviated for us that, that sin debt and that burden. And then when he ascended, because he was in us and we were in him, he's ascending as our mediator forever, at sitting at the right hand of God, which means or, or says in the Bible that we are seated in heavenly places. That's why, because Jesus is seated in heavenly places and we are in him and he is in us. So the ascension was really important and he was just about to do that. Uh, but as he was about to ascend, he gathered those disciples together, the 11 that were left. And as he was about to leave physically, he had these now very famous last words. It says, Then Jesus came to them, that is the 11 disciples who were remaining, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These were Jesus' famous last words. And those famous last words have become known now as the Great Commission. You may have heard that before. Essentially, the Great Commission's purpose for Jesus was to launch his followers into something that would shore up and ensure the growth of the church forever, something that would bless future generations, something that would see the church continue to grow and develop and morph and expand for centuries upon centuries and millennia that we still live in today. And that thing that he wanted to launch them into was something we call evangelism. Now, as I say that word evangelism, I wonder what it makes you think and feel inside. Because as Christians, we traditionally tend to switch off when we hear that word evangelism. Traditionally. Maybe it's just me. Oh, great. The annual evangelism message, we can think. Maybe you think evangelism and then go, ugh. Evangelism, irrelevant. Not my job. I suck at it. Right? These are some thoughts and things that can come across our minds when we hear that word evangelism. And I know because they're all things that I've thought in the past as well. And I can tell you, if you're here thinking that you are not good at or suck at or whatever with evangelism, I felt exactly the same way. Uh, I, I know, like, as a pastor, I've heard a lot of preacher stories where, in particular, it's, it's really weird, and you may hear some as well, where uh, preachers are on aeroplanes, and they seem to get the whole aeroplane saved, and, like, everyone's getting baptised on the plane, and they're, you know, using the water from the sink in the toilet to, you know, spray on people. And there's all these things, and everyone praises God, and they all get baptised in the Holy Spirit, and it's amazing, and they build the church. And I'm like, mate... If I'm on an aeroplane, I don't want to talk to anyone except the person that's bringing me the cheese and bickies, right? Because I, I really do not like, well, I don't love convert. I'll, I'll do it if I have to, but I, I'm, when I'm on an aeroplane, it's like my little bubble, right? I just like to be in my little bubble to the point. So I'm definitely not, you know, someone who's jumping on the aeroplane and, and taking up everyone's time preaching the gospel. Um, in fact, one time I was flying from Adelaide uh, to Melbourne and uh, there was someone who came and sat next to me, another guy, and I was like, I really just don't make eye contact because then you're going to have to talk and, you know, it's going to be really annoying and then you're going to be, you know, you're stuck there and what if you, you know, it's awkward, whatever. And so we went on this plane trip all the way back to Melbourne. When I got off the plane in Melbourne, I realised I was sitting next to a Collingwood football club player the entire time. I barracked for Collingwood. <laughs> and once he got off the plane, I realised, man, 
I've been sitting next to him the entire time. That is how disgustingly rude I am and so blocked off to other people on a plane. That is how different I am from those guys who are, you know, baptising the people on the plane and everything. So I get it. I get what it's like to feel like you might suck at evangelism. But you know what? Prepping for this message, I felt that given the Great Commission was Jesus' famous last words, that for me it was worth exploring at least what it was all about and the depth that might be there. And what I found was that as Christians and as a local church, it's actually vital that we understand the Great Commission. I don't think we fully appreciate the depth that is there in Jesus' last words. Often we just hear uh, evangelism, oh, make disciples, and that's about it. We don't consider what else is there. And I think it's important that we understand it, vital we understand it, because it actually answers for us the question of why should I bother with evangelism, particularly if I don't like it. Why should I bother? Why should I care? And I find or found as I was studying the Great Commission, Jesus' famous last words, that it left me actually feeling encouraged, not fearful, not ashamed that I hadn't done this or couldn't do that, but made me feel encouraged of what was to come. So this morning I'm suggesting there are five reasons that we find in the Great Commission for why we should evangelise, why it is for all of us. And the first two come up as we read this initial part of Jesus' statement, where he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Now, someone once said to me, when it comes to biblical studies, when there's a therefore, find out what it's there for. Before Jesus gives them this, or his disciples, he gives the disciples this commission and therefore gives us that commission as well, he prefaces the commission with this statement about his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And so reason one for why we evangelize is that it's the great commission, not the great suggestion. Jesus essentially is saying here, I'm the boss and this is your task. And that might sound really rude. And it might be a bit, like when I think about that, I'm like, oh, it's a bit harsh, Jesus, like you're bossing me around. You're meant to be really nice and, you know, my personal Lord and Saviour. My personal Lord and Saviour wouldn't make me do things I don't want to do. Uh, but here, Jesus is essentially doing that. He's saying, hey, I'm not asking about your feelings on evangelism. I'm saying, let's go. Let's do it. Why are you still standing here? And maybe we do find that those thoughts welling up from within us of like, oh, man, Jesus, like you, you, you're being a little, little hard there and, and being a bit... Bit bossy. Um, but then when we read scriptures like Philippians 2, 9 to 11, it puts it in context for us, I think. It does for me. Philippians 2, 9 to 11 says, Because of his victory on the cross, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Basically, Jesus is the king of the universe. He's the conqueror of all, defeater of sin and death. And he's asking us, actually telling us to go. Here the king is not suggesting that we go. He's saying, no, you will go. <laughs> but reason two for evangelizing is that the king is in your corner. Jesus doesn't just send us by his authority. He also sends us with his authority. Doesn't just send us by his authority, but with his authority too. In other words, his authority isn't just so that he can direct you, 
do this, do that. But so he can empower you. Hey, you've got this authority with you when you go. You're not going by yourself and by your own authority. There's been times where I've spent a little bit of time around other families and, and particularly those who have multiple kids. And parents, I wonder if you've seen this happen before where one of the kids might be playing with a toy and then the other kid will take that toy off that first kid and, uh, and will run away with it. And so the kid that is left without the toy goes up to mum or dad and goes, Mummy, Daddy, little Johnny took my toy. And then as the mum or dad responds, they say, Well, Jessica... Go back to little Johnny and you tell him that I said he has to give you that toy back. And all of a sudden, little Jessica's face goes from uh-huh to uh-huh. Because all of a sudden, little Jessica knows that she has mum or dad's authority on her side. She's about to go and tell little Johnny, hey, mum said, dad said, you need to give it back. And that little Johnny kid who stole the toy, if he refuses, well, watch out. That kid, when they, I've never seen something change so quickly than when a kid realises that mum or dad's authority is on their side for what they want to do. They completely light up, they completely change. And that's the impact that Jesus wants his authority to have on us. It's not just a bossy thing. In fact, it's not a bossy thing at all, I don't think. But the impact he wants it to have is that, hey, as you evangelize, have confidence because my authority is with you. My authority is on your side. I've I've, I've told you to do this. I've told you to go into the world. And we're actually doing this on the king's command. The king's command is with us. Oh, sorry, command. The king's command is with us. (laughs) Still got a little bit of the Victorian vernacular that I'm slowly praying leaves. Um, So I can finally be accepted. Not really. We can know when we go, because Jesus has said go, we can know that we go with his authority and therefore that we're working with God and not against God. Tell you what, I don't want to be working against God. I don't know about you. You can try it if you want. Generally, it doesn't work. But when we go with his authority, we know, hey, I'm working with God. I'm working for God, not working against God. On our own authority, guess what? We'd be stuffed. We wouldn't be able to do this job. But with Jesus, we are more than conquerors. You only have to look at the fact that Jesus ascends and basically goes, righto, you 11 ragtag nobodies, former fishermen, tax collectors, etc. I'm going to leave the whole future of the expansion of the church to you. And it worked. That's a terrible business model. To leave it to those guys. Even later on in Acts, the Pharisees say, these guys are untrained men. They notice. But the thing that they notice even more is that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because something was happening when these untrained men went out and did something under the authority of Christ, in obedience to Christ. And that is what he asks us to do when we go as well. And we become more than conquerors. The next two reasons for evangelizing and why we do it uh, come from this next section of the uh, Great Commission, which is probably the commission itself, where Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I got it right that time, commanded. Reason number three, therefore, is evangelism is for everyone and for everywhere. It's very important here to note 
what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, if you're an evangelist, go. He did not say, if you're an extrovert, go. He did not say, if you're a pastor, go. He did not say, if you're a leader, go. He did not say, if you've done evangelism training course 101, 201, 301 or the extension 401, then or and 501, then go. He didn't say that. He didn't even say, and this is the most annoying one, if you've got time, please go. He didn't book it in. All he said was, I'm the boss, go. That's the summary version. This call to go for God to evangelize is a really great leveler of people because it tells me that you are never too important or too unimportant to participate in this great mission of God. It's not based on your skill. It's not based on your personality. It's not based on your ability. It's not based on whether you're a good speaker or not. None of that matters. No, evangelism is for everyone. And the message, thankfully, is always the same. If the message kept changing all the time, this would be very annoying. But the message is always the same. The message is always the gospel. And we've been talking about the gospel this year quite a lot. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. Romans 10.13, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We get to carry this message that once we were dead in our sin, and yet we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. The sin that we did, the, the punishment for that sin was going to be death, eternal separation from God forever. We didn't deserve it, and we couldn't earn any kind of salvation that would make us right with him again, as John talked about this morning. But guess what? God is so rich in kindness and in grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins, Ephesians 1.7. And everyone, therefore, who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, can be a new creation in him, not stuck in their old deadness and sin, but actually a translated, it says in Ephesians, from the kingdom of darkness, where we're obedient to the devil, yikes, into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son in whom he is well pleased, and therefore he is well pleased in you too. And we get to take that message to the rest of the world. That is a message of good news, a message that's not of condemnation, uh, a message that is not uh, awful, but is something of hope, a message of regeneration, a message of goodness. That is the message we've all been tasked to share. I wonder who here has ever had to bear bad news to someone before. Anyone been a bearer of bad news? It's not fun. I remember one time uh, I, I rocked up at, at church um, when I was in Ballarat and uh, I found out that one of my dad's best friends and a guy he'd been mentoring uh, who was only mid-30s had, um, had passed away that day. And I, I knew that my dad didn't know about it because I found out about it in a way that, yeah, it was the information hadn't really got around yet. And I knew that I had to tell my dad and I knew what that was going to mean. And so I remember sitting on the kitchen floor at, at church and, and getting on the phone and I'm just, my voice is, is, is shaking and shuddering and I'm, I'm, I don't know how to say it or what to say. I'm only like 22 or something at this point. And I'm, I'm like, Dad, you need, to, you need to sit down. And he knew straight away. He knew someone was gone. And, uh, and it was just an awful, awful conversation. None of us like being the bearers of bad news. 
That is not the task that Jesus has tasked us with. His gospel is good news. It is not something, therefore, that I should be shuddering about and going, oh, I don't want to do this. It's something that I actually internally, I want to get excited about this because this is great news. This is life. This is resurrection that we're talking about. This is, hey, you've got eternity secure. This is good, great news. Jesus has now got you bearing the best news ever to all people. So not, let's not treat the good news and sharing it the same way that we treat bearing bad news. And Jesus doesn't specify a place. Well, he does say all nations and later on says Judea, Samaria, etc. But really in that time he was talking about the expansion of the church from one very localized area. Whereas now when we read, go make disciples of all nations, we can, we can really take that to mean everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. Homes, schools, sporting clubs, workplaces, universities, it doesn't matter where it is. What matters is the message that we take into it. And Josh will talk a little bit more about how next week. But really I'd suggest starting wherever you have solid relationships not going in Bible bashing people, not jumping on the street corners and yelling at people and telling them they're going to hell, but taking the message of the gospel with you naturally wherever you are. The fourth reason for why we evangelize is that evangelism done right ends in disciples, not just decisions. Decisions are important, but evangelism done right ends in disciples. If going, that is the evangelizing, is the what, they're making disciples is the why. Why do we evangelize? So that disciples are made. We don't just evangelize so that people will just stay the same or go, oh yeah, I think I get it now and then that's it, right? Evangelism is for a purpose. We evangelize so that disciples are made. Go make disciples. What we want to note again is that Jesus did not say make converts of all nations. He didn't say go make converts of all nations. He said go make disciples of all nations. Now a convert is a person who has been persuaded to change their religious faith or other belief. They've had some kind of cognitive change. Okay, yep, I used to believe this and now I believe this, something else, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, by the way. I'm not trying to demonize it. But a disciple, a definition of a disciple, or one that I liked was a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like him. That implies that there's a personal relationship there. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms his or her, her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. This definition of a disciple, when you put it against the definition of a convert, a convert has kind of changed their mind on something. Whereas a disciple has changed their life for something. For something. And that is the cause of Christ and this new uh, life of God living within them. So we see that the test of evangelism is are disciples being made or just decisions? Now, decisions are a part of it. One decision may make a convert, but making disciples takes time. And this is why evangelism, I believe, works best when it involves the local church. I really love it when people go out and they're evangelizing and doing all kinds of things and evangelistic crusades, so many people got saved in those years and years ago. But unless there's a link back to the local church, statistically, the effectiveness of evangelism tanks pretty hard. People begin to just wander because we weren't meant to do life solo. We weren't meant to do life just going, all right, what do I do next? The local church brings context 
to your faith. The local church uh, brings uh, an engagement that we can't have when we're just by ourselves. And you may have heard the, uh, oh, sorry, I forgot to say, because through the local church, the initial decision that someone might make to convert leads to community discipleship, which is with the wider family of believers in that local church. You may have heard the expression that it takes a village to raise a child. And I believe it, it takes a local community to raise a disciple. Uh, they can't do it alone and we can't always do it just one-on-one. It, it, we don't have to have all the answers this way. But together, we can see it occur. As someone who has accepted Jesus, engages with that local church, they'll be taught, they'll be potentially baptised. Those things that are within the Great Commission, that it says these things, you know, teach them, baptise them, those things naturally begin to occur as the disciple engages in that discipleship community, which is the local church. And this, I believe, as I said, all takes the pressure off you and me to do and be everything. We're not going to know the answer to every question. We're not going to know how to do absolutely everything. We're not necessarily going to know how to resonate with each and every single person that we, we come into contact with. But with the local church, we are so strong together. We can bring life to so many more people than we ever could alone. And on the note of being alone or not alone, the final thing Jesus says here, and my favourite part, is he says, And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So the final reason I present to you today is that, for why we evangelise, is that Jesus goes with us. Jesus goes with us. My daughter Evie, at the moment, there are so many things that she will not do without us. And it's sometimes very annoying. It's also very sweet. And I understand she's a two-year-old. That's life. Um, But as she, what we've noticed is as she grows in confidence, the less and less she needs us to hang around her, right? And it's really cool. I love seeing that. I love seeing her grow, grow in confidence. But the thing is, regardless of how confident she is, we're still there. We're there whether she's confident or whether she's clinging on for dear life. It doesn't matter how confident she gets. It doesn't matter how, yeah, excited she is to go out to Green Monkeys or if she wants to cling on to us here. We're we're here. We haven't left her. We haven't gone, see ya. And Jesus wants us to feel that same level of confidence. Evangelism can feel scary and it will feel uncomfortable. There's never a promise that it won't. But whether you're confident or not, Jesus is always with you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't abandon you in the moment. Sometimes if you're engaging in, in, in sharing your faith in any way, shape or form, sometimes it does feel like you're really alone in that moment. I remember there was a time when I was in um, university when I was uh, initially studying teaching and there was this class where, I don't know, it was about values or something. I can't really remember, but... The, the teacher put up like these 20 different values and got each of us to rank them in our own lives, right? And it was a very, uh, this university, public university, very, very, very highly secular, very anti-Christian type of university, right? And one of the values that was put up was um, religious values. The wording of that I hated, religious values, right? But I immediately, immediately knew I needed to put that number one. And I cannot tell you how much I did not want to put that number one. Because and I'm going, oh well, it's not really religious values. It's a relationship with Jesus. 
you know, if, if relationship with Jesus was up there, then I'd put it first. But that's not what they, what they were asking, basically, is, is there anyone in here, or, or, hey, everyone in here, where in your life do you rank your faith? And for me, it was number one, but I didn't want to do it. And so we're all doing this thing, and then, and then eventually they go through all the different values, and they, they put beside each one how many people have said that, and, you know, there's family, and there's this, and there's that, and there's hobbies and all kinds of things and then it gets to me and I'm like dang it and I said I tried to kind of quickly go over it religious values number one number two and I kept going and then she's like oh what was your number one again oh for goodness sake religious values she's like oh and then at the end I'm like oh thank goodness it's out of the way God I did the thing it's all good and she goes now who was the one person that said religious values that's really brave of you to say that. I'm like, for goodness sake, leave me alone. I want to quit this whole place, stuff you all. But you know what? In that moment, I didn't feel this little buzz of like Jesus energy going, ooh, Nick, you're, you're spiritual. You know, say religious values and you will feel like you're floating on a cloud and empowered beyond belief and the Great Commission will be ringing in your ears and you will see this whole classroom saved and you'll baptise them in the toilet water later on, like on the plane, like you've always dreamed. No, I was feeling terribly alone. I was feeling awful. I felt insecure. I felt all these kinds of things. And yes, granted, I was a lot younger. It wouldn't be as big a deal to me now. But for right then in that moment, that was a big deal. None of those people knew I was a Christian. I already knew what many of them thought about Christians because they would often introduce themselves. Hello, I hate Christians. You know, maybe not quite, but it was pretty close. Sat through a few dicey classes where it's like, ooh, they're talking about the church again and I'm about to say that I go to church. If you've been in that situation, you know what it's like or situations like it. You're not always going to feel like Jesus is right there. But we walk by faith and not by sight and not by feelings and not by emotions and not by oh Jesus please make me just feel good about this sometimes we just don't feel good about stuff doesn't mean that it's not worth doing we evangelize um, for many reasons and let's just summarize those as I invite the band to come why evangelize firstly because it's the great commission not the great suggestion Jesus was giving a mandate, not a poll. We had a poll in our young adults group about where to go for lunch today or what to do today. And it was, it was just awful, wasn't it? It's just, it just didn't really work out. It worked out to be like me versus Kirsty, and Kirsty won, so I was pretty upset about that. Um, Jesus was not presenting a poll. Hey, evangelism feels, yes, I like it. No, I don't like it. Please tick one. He's going, just go and do it. It's a mandate, not a poll. Why evangelize? Number two, because the king's in your corner. Jesus doesn't send us just by his authority, but also with his authority. This gives us a confidence that we're working with God and not against God. And he is working for us, for you, little old you. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is working for you, with you, not against you as well when you're walking in his directives. Why evangelize? Number three, because the Great Commission is clear. Evangelism is for everyone and everywhere. You don't need a qualification to evangelize. Jesus, after all, was talking to common human beings. Any community you belong to is all nations. Any community is a nation to reach. And you get to bear the best news in those communities, the gospel, 
the gospel of transformation and life. Why evangelize? Number four, because evangelism done right ends in disciples, not just decisions. We're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. Conversion is a part of that. But disciple making takes time and is effective, especially when it utilizes the local church, each other together. We're in it together. And why evangelize? Finally, because Jesus goes with us. It's his mission that we're on, not our own. It's his message that we're carrying, not our own. So we can take confidence from this, knowing that He is for us, with us, and supporting us. This week, as a challenge from this message, what I would love for you to do is to take some time to prayerfully consider who in your life God might be highlighting, or even just ask, Jesus, would you highlight people or places for me that you want me to be that light for you, that you want me to evangelize for you, that is to go and take the gospel into that environment or to that person? And this isn't about doing it this week, though you obviously can do that if you want. But I think for many of us, we just need to start with just being open. Jesus, who would you send me to? Who, To whom shall I go? Who do you want to bring life to through me? And I would encourage you to pray that this week and see who he brings to your mind. And bring that with you next week in your mind, in your heart, as you listen to Pastor Josh speak. As I close and as the band is about to sing, I just wanted to share with you one last scripture, which um, is a big motivator to me and always is a motivator to me. Um, I, at one point, hung it up, uh, I wrote it out and put it on our fridge a number of years ago. It's not there at the moment, but this was a time where I found like I was getting a little demotivated and a little concerned about the whole reaching others and, and just purpose in life. Acts 20, 24 was said by a guy called Paul, recorded by his friend Luke. And he said this, he said, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. This is not meant to be a morbid statement, but a motivating statement. A statement where Paul says, My life is worth nothing to me unless I do what God has asked me to do. Everything else is like a subsequent the main reason I'm here is to do the task that Jesus has got for me to do and may we have that same heart as a church and as individuals that Jesus our lives are for you and with you and we desire to do your will and your will alone let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you so much uh, for this time of being able to unpack this great commission and Lord we thank you that you gave it it is a challenge it freaks us out sometimes but Lord Help us to go from here with confidence, not scared, not derailed, not, not feeling like, oh, I can't do it or this or that. Lord, when those excuses come, may we remember that you are with us, you are for us. And Lord, you've given us this commission, but also the provision of your presence and your spirit. Lord, may we walk in confidence as we go for you and make disciples of our communities. Bring to our minds and hearts right now and this week people that you want us to reach out to in one way, shape or form, Lord. And help us to do that appropriately, going in love, not in judgment, not in condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.